This podcast was recorded Thursday, November 10th at 10.39 a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear it. Yeah, like we won't spend days overanalyzing a midterm election and then two weeks later already have forgotten all we said and as we move on to the next one. But that's not good podcasting. <laughs> Let's talk politics. This is Snally Goster, WOSU Public Media's weekly look at Ohio politics and those shrewd politicians who claim victory even though the red wave never occurred and their party lost at least one chamber of Congress. I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mike Thompson. Coming up on the podcast, the most awkward 50 seconds of the 2022 campaign. But first. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to continue to serve. This is obviously not the result we were hoping for. Whether you voted for me or not, the thing that I promise to do is go to the United States Senate and fight every single day for the people of Ohio. Thanks to you, we get an opportunity to do just that. I said, you have got to take care of the working class people in this country because the working class people have been forgotten. My job is to do exactly what the founders believed, neutral, fair, impartial. We've had a good night in the Ohio Republican Party, haven't we? Wow. And you probably know those voices. That was Mike DeWine, Nan Whaley, J.D. Vance, Tim Ryan, Ohio Supreme Court Justice Sharon Kennedy, and once again, J.D. Vance, all either elected on Tuesday or sent home by Ohio voters. Yep. While the rest of the country is a deep purple, Ohio is deeply red. In Washington, both chambers of Congress are pretty much evenly split, literally right down the middle with nearly equal numbers of Democrats and Republicans. In Columbus, though, there is very little blue to be seen. Republicans captured every statewide office, U.S. Senate, Governor, Attorney General, Auditor, Secretary of State, Treasurer, and three seats on the Ohio Supreme Court. The races were not even that close. Every statewide Republican won by double digits, except J.D. Vance, who won by about six points. Republicans widened their majorities in the Ohio House and Senate. The only bright spot for Democrats uh, was in Congress, a couple races for Congress. Greg Landsman upset longtime Republican Steve Shabbat down in Cincinnati. And Amelia Sykes, who retained what would have been Tim Ryan's old congressional district in Northeast Ohio, Sykes beat Madison Giasoto Gilbert after a fierce campaign up there. Joining us to talk about all this, what it means for Ohio, what it means for the nation, is Ohio State University political scientist Paul Beck. Paul, welcome back to Snollygoster. Really good to be with you. Nice to be in your new home. Yes, our new studios here in Columbus. It's great to have you. Uh, what's your number one takeaway from the midterm? Well, I think the you know, one thing is the contrast between Ohio, where there was a Republican mm -hmm. sweep, and the rest of the country, where the, the expected Republican sweep simply did not occur. Uh, and maybe the other takeaway is that the country is still deeply polarized and almost evenly polarized. Uh, and these many, many of these were very close contests, uh, some of them still yet to be determined. Right. It'll be determined by you know, a thousand votes. Uh, and so that really, I think, signals how evenly split the country is and will continue to be. That, that is incredible. You, and you normally think if there were even numbers of Republicans and Democrats that might be more compromised to get things done. But that's certainly not going to happen, it doesn't seem like. Well, what's happened, of course, and part of this is the work of the primaries, and, and part of this is the work of, of Donald Trump, uh, is that each of the parties is sort of driven more to the extremes. Yeah. 
Uh, less so the Democrats, because one of the things that happened for the Democrats in the primaries in particular is a lot of their progressive challengers to incumbents were defeated. Uh, that was not so on the Republican side. We'll still see what the fallout from that is. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see how all of this plays out in the Congress itself. Yeah. Paul, the main race we were watching here in Ohio was the U.S. Senate race between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. Vance won, as we said, won by about six and a half points. Uh, what do you think was his key to victory? Well, first, I didn't really expect him to win by that margin. I, I thought he probably would win, uh, but that Ryan would cut into what had been the Trump advantage from uh, two years ago. Well, he and did, then, by course, two but, points. But he did by two <laughs> points, but not enough. Yeah, polls had uh, advanced ahead by about four points. Yeah. That's right. That's right. The polls if for Ohio were you know, accurate in terms of the victor, but not so accurate in terms of the points. Uh, polls around the rest of the country sometimes were really accurate, sometimes were way off. Uh, and so it's hard to kind of come up to any summation as to the performance of the polls. But back on, on Ohio, uh, you know, I think I was surprised by the, Vance, the size of the Vance victory. Uh, I wasn't at all surprised by what happened in the governor's race because the polls have been telling that, us that all along. Uh, I was rather surprised by what I will call the Republican miscalculation in how they drew the district lines. Uh, I think they drew the district lines in such a way that they thought that Chabot could pull out a victory in a red wave race uh, and that maybe Marcy Kaptur would get defeated in this Toledo district. Uh, there they got the wrong nominee, I think. Yes. If they had another nominee, she might have lost that. Yeah, because Donald Trump won that district by three points. Yes. So I think if they had had a more establishment Republican, she might have been in trouble, but she's a tough candidate. She's very well known and popular up there, so that would have been a tough fight regardless. That's right. And then the, the Emilio Sykes win, uh, again, it was a district that was nip and tuck. Uh, I wasn't sure. A lot sure. of money up there. A lot of money up there. I wasn't sure who was going to win that district. Uh, but it gives the, the Democrats an extra seat in Congress and reduces the Republican seats by two because yeah. Ohio lost a seat. Ohio was, it was four of 16 were Democrats. Now it's five of 15. That's right. That's right. You have to say that Ohioans are pretty happy with Governor DeWine, Right. Based I'm on not, his performance? I'm not sure they're really happy with him. I think that they are happier with him than they were with Nan Whaley, his, his opponent. Uh, again, there was a potential that Republicans would back away, some Republican voters would back away from DeWine, largely because of how he handled the pandemic in the early, early days. Uh, I think they did not. Although I just saw this morning that turnout in Ohio, unlike the rest of the country, was down from what it was yeah, four 50, years ago. Fifty-two percent. Okay, yeah. and that is down. Mm -hmm. And we need to realize that the way they compute the turnout figures is they base it on registered voters, which is all they have, really. But the turnout probably was hovering around forty percent of the potential electorate, uh, and you know that's in a democracy that's that's pretty low. Yeah, yeah. I mean. It, he is unpopular among Donald Trump supporters, but I think some of those folks came home regardless. Or maybe they just went in and voted for Vance and voted for the other Republican. Does he show you how you can win without going? Does, does DeWine show us how you can win without going full Trump? You know, I think that's right. Uh, he, he didn't deny Trump. Uh, he was really pretty quiet about Trump. Uh, I think he ended up getting Trump's endorsement. 
uh, but it was a pallid endorsement and, and came late in the game, if he, I remember he appeared, right. He appeared with him Monday night near Dayton. That's right. That's right. Yes. Briefly. Briefly. <laughs> Got some uh, booze coming on stage, too. But, yeah, I think it shows you how you can run. And, 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 and Kemp was sort of that way in Georgia as well, that you don't want to go out and out and attack Trump. Uh, even if you don't agree with him or if he's attacked you, as he had for, for well, DeWine early on, but certainly Kemp. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you don't necessarily need to sidle up to him in the way that maybe J.D. Vance had done here in Ohio. I think everyone expects this to be Mike DeWine's final job. I mean, he's, he's well into his 70s now. He's term limited as governor. So we, 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 I think we know what's next for him. Not certainly, but we, you know, we, we know... We, we expect him to not do anything else after this. Where would you expect Nan Whaley to go? She's she's lost two straight elections now for governor. Um, even as recently as a week or two ago, most Ohioans did not know who she was. Do you think she has a, a political future? or what? If so, what do you think it is? I think not much of a future statewide, although she could run for one of the executive offices, I guess, in four years. But uh, she never was able to gain the kind of visibility you needed to gain to be able to win <clears throat> statewide against a strong incumbent governor. Uh, she may go into the Biden administration for the next two years, sort of get parked there. Uh, I'm not sure for 2024 what options she would have because Sherrod Brown is going to be up in 2024. and She obviously is not going to contest uh, him in the, in the primaries. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens and how the Democrats basically build some bench strength in Ohio. Uh, Ryan, in a way, was it. And, of course, he now has been defeated and is not likely to run again. He may get picked up in the Biden administration. Who, who knows? Uh, but they really need bet strength if they're going to be able to compete at all against the Republicans. Paul, we've been hearing they need a bench for at least 10 years. And the bench, there's nobody on the bench. I mean, you had Tim Ryan, but he was a sitting congressman. He really wasn't on the bench. He was down at the end of the bench, maybe. Yes. but. But I, yeah, I think that's a victim of gerrymandering. I've always thought this because the state legislative districts are so gerrymandered. Good candidates are not going to run to get their butt kicked. Yes. So you're not getting the pipeline of candidates starting out at state rep, moving up the state Senate, getting well known in the legislature, then running for secretary of state or treasurer. That's why the Democrats bench, I think, is so is so thin because of ger the the long-term effects of gerrymandering. Yes, I agree with you. And, of course, there's another factor here, and that is that, that if they get elected from a district like the districts in Columbus or Cleveland or, or even Cincinnati, they, in the state legislature, don't have a podium because they are not in the majority party. Yeah. Uh, and they're, so they're pretty much silenced in mm -hmm. a way that politicians in the past could kind of build some kind of visibility uh, Democrats don't have that, and they don't have, we saw this in the state legislative races, they don't have any money. Yeah. Uh, the money flows to the party in power, always has, and is going to continue to do that. Uh, and so they're almost doubly cursed there. And I think it's going to be a long time before the Democrats are going to be at all competitive uh, in the state of Ohio. Paul, let's turn now to the Ohio Supreme Court. It does not get as much publicity as it normally as it did this year. Um, all three Republicans who won on Tuesday won by about 13 points with a majority of Ohioans supporting redistricting reform and abortion rights. Why didn't the Democrats do better? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think the Republicans placed a bet here, and that was that if you have a partisan ballot 
for the judges, for the Supreme Court judges. Uh, you're going to be able to pick up some votes that they might not otherwise get, and I think they, they did. Uh, I think also the Democratic candidates for the state Supreme Court were disadvantaged in the money race. Uh, it was really hard for them to gain much visibility. And, of course, judges, you know, judicial candidates, I should say, don't have much visibility to begin with. Uh, and you can do some ads uh, on television and maybe gain some visibility that way. But it's, it's really very hard to do, particularly in races that are partisan races. Every race was 56% to 44%, almost identical. They basically, I think the party labels drove home who won and who lost in those races. Maybe Bruner and Kennedy would have been different without the party labels, but it was 56% for the Republican candidate on the Supreme Court, you know, basically 44 43% for the Democratic candidate. It was truly just a partisan vote. Well, as, as we know from the battles over redistricting, the Democrats had figured that the division of voters in Ohio was about 54 to 46, yeah. uh, and dreamed that they could get legislative districts that reflected that division, and of course they, they did not. But 54-46 is not all that different from 56-44. Uh, Adding the name ID of Sharon Kennedy and Pat DeWine, and there absolutely. you go. Absolutely. And I would guess, I haven't looked at the data yet, but I would guess that Bruner probably, of all the candidates for the Supreme Court positions, had higher visibility than anybody else. She'd been a statewide official before. She'd been on the court, of course, before, but it really didn't help her. And we did the, we had the R and D's after the names this year for the first time. That's, so that's exactly right. All of these Republicans elected say they uh, support banning abortion. Or they believe life begins at the moment of conception. That's at odds with the majority of Ohioans, at least in terms of abortion. Most Ohioans think there should be abortion legal with restrictions, but they, they did not was not reflected in their vote for Ohio Supreme Court. What do you think of, as abortion as a standalone issue? Um, you know, we look at states like Michigan, California, Vermont, Kentucky, maybe even Montana, where voters are, are voting for abortion rights. Do you see that as a viable issue in Ohio going forward? It, it may be a viable issue. It may not be a winning issue. There may not be enough Ohioans for candidates. For candidates. Uh, I think what's happened actually over, over the last months, I guess since the Dobbs decision, is that Democrats have come to love Roe v. Wade, even though most of them are, are wholeheartedly pro-choice. Uh, Republicans first positioned themselves very much in favor of Dobbs, hoping that the states would adopt the most restrictive legislation to try to stop abortions. Uh, Republicans may now be having second thoughts. It's almost like the, the, the dog who's chased the car and then finally catches it yep. and doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, and so that may be a problem for the Republicans, except that a lot of Republicans have been elected and continued to serve in office who are on the radical extreme on the abortion issue. And I really expect the state legislature here in Ohio to push very hard for the most restrictive abortion legislation they can get. They're, they're pretty close to that anyway. It's, pro it's probably coming in the lame duck session. I suspect that's right. Uh, and, uh, you know, they will, they will get what they want because they're Well, let, let me ask you that. Mike DeWine had a pretty good mandate on Tuesday, 60-30, Can he now, does he have the strength to veto anti-abortion legislation he thinks is too extreme? Is there I, any anti-abortion legislation he thinks is too extreme? For instance, not having an exception for a rape or incest. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he, of course, is very firmly in favor of, of pro-life positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not heard him, or I don't remember him saying that he would permit some exclusions. He didn't talk about it during the campaign. Okay, I'm not surprised. <laughs> That's why he didn't debate. They, they kind of wiped his website clean of abortion issues. Okay. He did not want to talk about it. Well, I can understand that. And I, I suspect, too, that he's not going to want to challenge the legislature. Why not? Over that issue. I mean, at this uh, point. I know. He's not going to run again. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not. I'm not sure he doesn't fall in line with that hardline position. He, he I, just well, I think might. he agrees. He, I, I think he agrees. But yeah. on the issue of perhaps rape and incest, he might might not agree completely with the far far right in the legislature. We, we've talked a lot about his abortion as a platform for candidates. What what about as an issue on a ballot coming up? Well, there may be an attempt in Ohio to put it on the ballot, uh, going the way of Kentucky, Vermont, uh, even Can- yeah, Kansas, Kansas last, earlier this obviously. year. Uh, it takes a lot to put something on the ballot. Uh, it would go on the ballot, presumably, if the, the campaign was successful for the 2024 contest. They probably have a better shot at winning in the 2024 contest than they may have had at midterm. Uh, they also are going to have, when I say they, it's not maybe the same groups, but I think a lot of people are going to want to put on the ballot something about redistricting. Uh, maybe a commission this time around, which the Republicans, of course, will oppose heavily. Uh, whether there is the, 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 either the money or the will to work the kind of you know, door-to-door campaign you need to do to get something on the ballot, uh, it remains to be seen, but it, it may be an attempt. Yeah, we've talked to, to Jen Miller with the, the Ohio League of Women Voters, and they've hinted at it being possible. But as you say, it takes millions and millions of dollars to gather upwards of 500,000 valid petition signatures. So you have to gather about a million by the time half of them get thrown out. It's it's really a laborious, expensive thing. Turnout was down, so now you need fewer signatures. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> is that true? Well, that, yeah. So that will affect it's, the... It's based on your last two yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not that many fewer. Right. It's still a lot of signatures. I think it's going to be on the ballot at some point. It was interesting on, on NPR yesterday or today, I forget when it was, they talked to a strong uh, anti-abortion rights person. And their talking point now is that really this should be decided by lawmakers and not by the voters. So that we was can, this morning, Thursday So morning. we can have good debate over this issue in the legislature. We should leave it up to the lawmakers to decide, which I thought was very interesting because, of course, in a lot of these states, because of gerrymandering and the, just the nature of the states, they control the legislature. So yes. obviously the anti-abortion rights folks want to keep it at state houses and not put it on the ballot because they have not been successful on the ballot. Whether it would be successful here, who knows? Well, of course, there's always the chance that the state legislature would decide to change the rules about what it takes to get onto the ballot. Uh, in terms of a voter initiative. Anyway, they've toyed with that in the past. Uh, and whether they could change it in time for the 2024 contest or not remains to be seen. But they, they'll be thinking along those lines. Yeah. Lots to talk about. We could go on forever. Good. Any other final thoughts? Is, is, this, is this it, Paul? A lot of people are saying Donald Trump is old news. He's going to he's he's damaged the Republican Party, and the party's going to forsake him. Is this the time? Well, I think he has damaged the Republican Party. If if not for his uh, endorsements, the Republicans might be in better shape in terms yeah. of, of of the Congress. The election diaries did not do very well. They they did not. 
Uh, and again, you know, some of those races still are yet to be determined. But uh, by and large, we've seen what we're going to see. But we've written I off think. Donald Trump before at least five, six, seven dozen times. <laughs> I mean, the New York Post has a has a terrible cover for Donald Trump saying he, you know, saying he's doomed the party. But we thought he was done after the Access Hollywood tape. I know. No, after yeah, he no, said John McCain was, wasn't a hero. That How about was, that? well, time and time again, yeah. ago. We, yeah. we've written him off, and, and you know, I think he'll still be there. Yeah. Uh, the real key will be whether Republican politicians think it's in their interest to distance themselves from Trump uh, in so the way that, that Kemp or DeWine yeah. have done. Yeah. Uh, so far, that hasn't happened. Uh, you know, we will see for 2024. Anyway. Paul Beck, Ohio State University political scientist. Thanks again for coming on Snollygoster. Oh, thank you. Good to be with you. Thanks, Paul. We'll be right back. WOSU Public Media podcasts are made possible thanks to listener support. All of our digital content, such as Snollygoster and the All Sides of the Ann Fisher podcast, depend on the generosity of listeners like you. You can give at WOSU.org or through the WOSU mobile app. And thanks. Welcome back to Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media. As we briefly said with Paul Beck there, Donald Trump did hold a last-minute campaign rally near Dayton on the day before the election. Yeah, no doubt Trump will claim that it was that rally that led to Ohio's Republican sweep. He'll likely even claim credit for Mike DeWine's big victory, even though the governor wanted very little to do with the former president that is up until Monday night. If you recall, the governor always had a reason for missing Trump rallies First, it was that he had to attend a ceremony honoring Ulysses S. Grant, but then he says he caught COVID, so that was the reason he missed the April rally. Then this fall, he skipped another Trump rally to watch his granddaughters run in a cross-country meet. This week, he apparently had no excuse, and he attended Trump's rally alongside Lieutenant Governor John Houston. Yep, the two men were not supposed to appear on stage at this event. They were not supposed to speak, but then former President Trump called them up on stage and here's what it sounded like. By the way, are they here? I think come on up. Well, this is a great honor. And I gave my endorsement a long time ago. But, uh, oh, that's great. That's really nice. Hi, Jack. Great. President, thank you very much for having us. Good job. Please, sir. Please, sir. You guys say a couple of words. Mr. President. Thank you very much. You know, in Ohio, Mr. President, we fund the police. We've done a great job doing that. We've cut our taxes. We're moving Ohio forward. And thank you for being here to endorse J.D. Vance. J.D. is going to do an absolute phenomenal job. Without the video, it's more booze than I remember. Yeah, it was the most awkward minute of the entire campaign. Dwine and Houston, as you heard, they were booed, not by everyone, but by enough. Trump had a grouchy look on his face the whole time. You could hear the sarcasm in his voice. As you heard, it was the shortest remarks Mike Dwine has ever given. And John Houston had a sheepish look on his face the whole time. And when, as you may have heard, when Trump asked him if he wanted to speak, Houston said, nope, I'm good. It was a... If you see, haven't seen the video, you should see it. And uh, it was, it really just showed the tension between Mike DeWine and the former president. Yeah, there is, um, there is a tension, I think is a good way to describe it. And Trump presumably wanted 
to make them feel awkward. He wanted yeah. t- to make them squirm a little bit in the spotlight for not attending previous rallies. If you listen, he said, you know, I gave them their endorsement a long time, but, and he stopped. He almost said, but they haven't attended any of my rallies. He would have said that, but he didn't. He he, he took the diplomatic route and just uh, welcomed them on stage and left them shuffle off. Why did DeWine go? Why did, I, why did Husted go? You know, I have no idea. He was DeWine was going to win. Why why bother? Why? Right. He knew he was going to get booed. Houston knew he, they were going to get booed. They, I think they had hoped they weren't going to go on stage, so they kind of would say, we attended the rally, but kind of slip off unnoticed, and Trump wouldn't let him do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, D- Donald Trump could have gotten our Snellagoster of the Week award for, for that there, but we did go with someone else. Uh, Snellagoster of the Week, of course, goes to the shrewdest political move or politician of the past seven days. And this week it goes to a group that got it right, the pollsters. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with Paul Beck on this. I, th- I think they got it kind of right here in Ohio. It has been a while since pollsters got Ohio right. They usually overestimate the Democratic support. This year they weren't exactly right. But they were pretty close. Yeah, certainly within the margin of error in the races for U.S. Senate and governor, they had Vance up by about four points. He won by six or seven. That is within the margin of error. And they had Mike DeWine winning by about 20 points. DeWine won by 26, just outside the margin of error, but only by a field goal. Yeah, (laughs) there were a lot of points in that scoreboard. So for accurately gauging the mood of the voters, more or less, our Schnallagoster of the Week goes to the pollsters, who now have some positive news to sell to their clients in Ohio before the next election. And there will be buyers, trust me. That will do it for this week's edition of Snollygoster. You can always send us your recommendations for Snollygoster of the Week to snollygoster at WOSU.org. Also, be sure to leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next week, for our student producer, Katie Genius, our audio producer, Eric French, and our web producer, Michael DeBonis. I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mike Thompson for Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media.